this. Some of y'all thought I was dead. <laughs> you didn't even come to the funeral. I have been busy. Where have you been, preacher? Where have you been since you retired six years ago? Well, I took two weeks off. <laughs> then I went to First Baptist Mary Esther and stayed there a year and a half till they got a new pastor. And then the next Sunday, I went over to First Baptist Fort Walton Beach and stayed there nine months. And then I went to Molino, at Dogwood Park Baptist Church, where Philip is now pastor, one of the young men of our church. And then I went to Woodlawn Baptist Church in Crestview, stayed there about a year. And then I went to First Baptist Church East Bruton for a year and a half. And now I'm at North Bruton, just been called as interim pastor at North Bruton Baptist Church. I'm beginning, beginning to know Bruton. And uh, I know just about every little road around there and know a lot of the people there. Uh, so retirement's not been exactly what I thought it was going to be, you know. <laughs> but uh, my wife, you, she stays with me, and uh, believe it or not, and she keeps me straight. And so we, we are having a great time of our lives. We never, we never pictured retirement like this, but we're having a great time. And, but it is good to be back with you. Just before I accepted the North Bruton Church, uh, Pastor Jonathan asked me if I would come preach today, and so I said I wouldn't miss it. So John 9 is my text this morning, John chapter 9. If you'll open your Bibles there, then uh, you'll, you'll find uh, I'll touch on almost all of this chapter, as a matter of fact. John chapter 9, but I'm going to read about uh, the first 12 verses uh, at this time. As he was passing by, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, Jesus answered. This came about so that God's works might be displayed in him. We must do the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. After the, he said these things, he spit on the ground, made some mud from the saliva, and spread the mud on his eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So he left, washed, and came back seeing. His neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar said, Isn't this the one who used to quit to sit begging? Some said, He's the one. Others were saying, No, he looks like him. He kept saying, I am the one. So they asked him, then how were your eyes opened? He answered, the man called Jesus made mud, spread it on my eyes and told me, go to Siloam and wash. And then I went and I washed and I received my sight. Where is he? They asked. I don't know. He said, I don't know. Heavenly Father, thank you for this precious passage in the word of God and bless us with the Holy Spirit to interpret, to understand, to apply, and to live by what we see here and read here. In Jesus' name, amen. You heard about the guy, I guess, and uh, they arrested in the mall the other day. Uh, they found him in the ladies' restroom. Now, this day and time, you don't know what's going on there, but at any rate, he was trying to talk to every woman who came in the restroom, and finally, a security came and said, you need to come with us, sir. What's, what are you doing in here? Uh, 
And he said, well, I'm looking for a wife, and I thought this might be a good place to meet women. <laughs> now, if you go home today and Google clueless, you may see his picture there because he is clueless, isn't he? Well, I think sometimes we're clueless about how to share our faith with other people, don't you? And some people are clueless about how, about how to become a Christian even. How much do you have to know? What do you have to know? How long do you have to stay at it? Or we're going to be clueless. Sometimes people will say, well, I, I, would, I would love to share my faith, but what do I need to know? How much scripture do I have to have memorized? And, and, and what if they ask me to turn to Habakkuk? Man, I can't even spell Habakkuk. And, and, and is that in the Old or the New Testament? You know, I have trouble with those minor prophets. And what if they said, are you a two-seat in the spirit predestinarian Baptist? What would I say? And, and, and what about end times and the tribulation and all those kinds of things? How would I answer those people? And how many plans of salvation do I have to know? Uh, is the Roman road, is that all I need to know? Is, is faith, how about evangelism explosion? How about when? How about all... And do I need a degree to tell someone how to become a Christian? And how much education does it take to be able to tell somebody about a Christian? And how long do you have to be a Christian before you can tell somebody else how to be a Christian? What do I need to know? Sometimes we're just clueless, aren't we? I want you to put all that aside this morning and realize there's just one thing you need to know. One thing you need to know. And we'll come to that in a little bit. First of all, I must tell you, though, in the, according to the first five verses, uh, you don't have to know the origin of evil or brokenness or sickness. We fear sometimes that people might ask those questions and we can't answer them. But I'm telling you, there's just one thing you need to know to tell someone about Jesus. You see, Jesus was walking through Jerusalem with his disciples and they saw a familiar sight in Jerusalem. You see those, uh, especially around the temple, around religious sites all the times. You see beggars, and here was a beggar who was a blind man, and everybody had seen him. Everybody who'd ever come there had probably seen this man, made his acquaintance, maybe dropped him a penny or two, or tossed him a piece of bread. He was a beggar. There were many of them there like that. And they were all hopeless because, you know what? Isaiah said in Isaiah 42, 7, that when the Messiah comes, he could give sight to the blind. But where's the Messiah? When's the Messiah going to come? They're all wondering about that. So this man is pretty much hopeless. But the disciples follow Jesus as they walk by this man. They start elbowing each other, you know. Uh, you ask him. No, you ask him. So finally, somebody asked Jesus, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he should be born blind? Now, wouldn't we always like to set the blame, don't we? When something bad happens, we say, why did that happen? And, and so we try to set the blame. Why are people blind? Well, you know, some of us guys uh, can understand it because your mama told you, don't you run with that stick in this house, so you're going to punch your eye out, right? And when we got our first BB gun... What'd she say? You'll shoot your eye out. And 
all kinds of things. My mama used to say, you sit close to that TV and you're going to go blind. Your mama said that too, didn't she? Yep, all kinds of reasons and all kinds of diseases and problems and things like that. And sometimes it's bad choices and sometimes it's just a disease. And sometimes we just don't know what happens. They say in America, somebody goes blind every 20 minutes. But born blind, that's a little different case, isn't it? Born blind, I confess to you, I don't understand stuff like that. I don't understand why little children sometimes are born with problems like that. This guy was born blind. I don't understand why children are born with problems like that. I don't understand why children have autism like my grandson. I just don't understand that. I, I've asked God for answers about that, but you know, I just confess, I don't understand all those things. But here he is. And among Jewish thinkers, among the people of that day, they said, well, obviously somebody sinned. This boy's parents must have sinned. And so that's why he was born blind. The disciples maybe don't know that he was born blind. They say, did he sin or did his parents sin or just what's the, what's the problem? What, what, what brought all this on? Well, Jesus could have turned to the book of Job or said, uh, unroll your scroll to the book of Genesis, or turn over to Ezekiel or something like that and begin talking about the origin of evil and all the problems of this world. And he could have started trying to explain to us little people in words that we could understand why things like this happen. But you know what would come up? Same thing your computer tells you sometimes when you got that little memory stick in there and you're trying to offload about a million pictures. And it says insufficient memory. You and I are a little insufficient up here, I think, to understand some things like that. And God will explain those things to us, I, I, I believe, one of these days. This blind, man's blindness is a sign. As If you read the Gospel of John, you find out there are seven signs that prove that Jesus was the Messiah. This is the sixth one. The resuscitation of Lazarus will be number seven. I was thinking this morning, I wonder if those guys involved in all this ever sit around in heaven saying, you know, I was number six sign. I was number seven sign. But they proved who Jesus is. And Jesus said, what you really need to focus on at this time is how God is glorified in this man's life. You don't have to understand why he's like he is. I don't understand why people are lost, do you? I mean, I read scripture, I read, I, I can read in John 15. I, I can see that sometimes we like sheep have gone astray. We just wandered away and just fell in a hole somewhere. Sometimes we get handled carelessly in the world like the woman who lost the coin. And sometimes we're just playing out rebellious like that prodigal son and we just stomp our foot and say, I'm going away, God, I don't care. I'm not going by your rules. I don't know why people are, are lost, but I do know something. When they're saved, they walk down this aisle and they're saved and they go up through those waters of baptism up there. You know what? And, and y'all always cl clap, don't you? Wow, this is wonderful. Fantastic. The glory of God. A sinner has been converted. A sinner has come home. And we ought to be excited. And Jesus said, 
This man's going to be to the glory of God right here. That's what's happening. You see, you don't have to know the origin of all kinds of problems or of evil. You just have to know one thing. Also in verses 6 through 12, you don't have to know or understand how Jesus can save or change a life. You don't have to understand exactly how it works. If you're lost, you're saying, well, I, I, I don't know how it would, how can it happen in my life that I could be saved? I don't get that. Well, you don't have to know exactly all about that. Well, Jesus moves toward the blind man and he's going to heal him to the glory of God. I don't know why he went to just this one man and why not a lot of the others. There must have been a lot of other beggars around there. I just know something about the sovereignty of God that he does things in his way in his time. Oh, he just does these things. It's, it's his way. And so Jesus goes to work in front of the man. He must have stopped him out there. Someone must have maybe stooped down in front of him if he's sitting there. And Jesus spits in the dust. Yeah, spit. And he stirs that dust up and makes a little pasty mud and smears it on the man's eyes. And then he says, now you get up and you go to Salome and you wash and see what happens. I don't know why I made him go all the way to Salome. I looked at my map. Salome is in the, the most southern part of, of, of Jerusalem. There were other places of water closer by. Go to Salome and wash. And so the man made his way down to Salome the fountain of Siloam, and he began to wash. And Wow. You just, you just wonder as he walks away. You may ask the question. Probably people were standing there listening to Jesus and saying, what good's that going to do? You, you made a little mud and, and you smeared it on his eyes and now you tell him to go wash his face. And What good is that going to do? This man's blind. What possible good is this? Same thing today, isn't it? You got up this morning and said, I'm going to church. So maybe somebody in your family or some of your neighbors said, where are you going? I'm going to church. Well, what good will that do? Maybe you got up a little earlier. You said, somebody said, where are you going? I'm going to Sunday school. Connection group. I'm sorry. That's how old I am. <laughs> Pardon me, Lord. What good's that going to do if you go to Bible study for a while? What good is that? You know, these Bible studies. Now, I don't mean that one where a woman was going like this. I mean, Bible studies that y'all have all the time. You say, I'm going to the Bible study. What good's that going to do? And even worse, I'm going to a men's Bible study. Well, what could that mean, right? What possible good is that? Or I'm going to make a profession of faith. I'm going to express my faith in Jesus Christ. Well, what good is that? Or I'm going to spend the day in prayer. I'm going somewhere to a prayer retreat and I'm going to pray. Well, what good is that? Somebody's going to ask. I'm going to give my tithe to my church. What good is that? Skeptics are always saying. But the man did what Jesus said. And let me tell you something. It's always good to do what Jesus says. You do what he says. Be obedient. 
And so the man goes and washes his face at Salome, and suddenly there is light. There is glorious light. For the first time in his life, he looks up and sees a blue sky. He sees people, their faces. He sees the buildings. In the distance, he can see the the temple. He's seeing things for the first time. Light. Light is just all over this guy. One of the places we've been, uh, Connie and I have been in retirement, we, we spent some time several days in Savannah, Georgia. That's an interesting place. We never had been there just a while back. One of the places we visited was the Thomas Kincaid Art Gallery. I love Thomas Kincaid. He's got art galleries across the country. Do you know that Thomas Kincaid, a Christian artist, is the most collected artist in America? Well, he does so much with light. Just portraying simple times of little houses and mountain scenes and waterfalls and ponds and lakes and churches. So many times churches with the reflection of the light in the stained glass windows. Kincaid is a man of great faith and a devoted father. He believes that light is a universal message to communicate the light of Jesus coming into this world. Light. Light. This man sees light. Light. Oh, how glorious. What a sensation. And he, and he goes around looking. Look at that. Look at that. And he's pointing out to people, who are you? I know that voice. And, and, and he's going around just everywhere excited with the light. I see the light. Can you imagine? You can't, can you? Unless you've been blind. You can't imagine opening your eyes for the first time and seeing things. What a sensation. And everybody's looking at this guy's making such a scene, obviously, that they said, hey, you, we know you. What's happened to you? What are you doing? What's going on with you? You're, you're, you're supposed to be blind. Somebody said, yeah, he looks like that blind man, that beggar that we've known all of our lives here, but I don't think that's him. Somebody switched beggars on us. He looks like him but I don't think that's him. Other people said, yes, that's him. And the man says, yes, that's me. And so people said, well, what happened to you? How is it that you've been blind all these years and now you come seeing? That's never happened before in the history of the world. The scriptures say that in Isaiah 42, 7, that when the Messiah comes, He's going to give sight to the blind. This has never happened before. I am that man. What happened? Well, there was a man named Jesus. And, and, and he spit in the dust and he made paste and he smeared it on my eyes and he told me to go and wash it Salome and, and, and now I can see. Well, where is he? How did he do this? I don't know. So you don't have to know everything about it. I don't know. You don't have to know to be able to tell everybody. Now, this is so disturbing and so unheard of in the city of Jerusalem that they call in the theological experts. They'll know. Pharisees know everything. And Jerusalem was full of Pharisees. There was one under every rock you turned over. Go call the Pharisees. They'll explain all this. We don't understand the theology of what's going on right here. 
You don't have to understand the theology. That's the third thing, isn't it? You don't have to understand the theology of what all is going on. So the Pharisees come up and say, what's going on here? What's all the excitement about? Well, we got this beggar. You've seen him. You pass by the temple. You, you, you go through the streets all the time. He's blind, but now he can see. Well, just give me the facts. What's the facts here? Well, today, 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 a man made clay and smeared it on my eyes and told me to go and wash at the pool of Siloam, and now I can see. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that great what he's done for me? One word made the Pharisees gasp, though. You know what that word was? Today. Because you know what today was, don't you? It was the Sabbath. Now, the Ten Commandments just have one rule about the Sabbath. Keep it holy. But the Pharisees decided, you know, we need to work around that to put a fence around that commandment so that people won't break the Sabbath. So they made 39 more laws about the Sabbath. And heaven help you if you ate an egg that a chicken laid on Sunday. You're a sinner if you did that. And you can't heal on the Sabbath. Now, if somebody's, you know, you can staunch the bleeding if someone's been hurt. If you knew CPR in those days, I guess you could do CPR. But it was only in the most, those events of life-saving. If you're blind, if you're lame, if there's some other reason, it can wait till tomorrow, they said. But if you heal on the Sabbath, you are a sinner and you are lost and you are going to hell. Do you hear me? This man is a sinner, they said. He can't be from God because... You know, our tradition says you don't heal on the Sabbath. And other people said, wait a minute here. That doesn't make sense. How could he do this if he's a sinner? You know, God doesn't listen to, to the cries and powers of a, of a sinner like that. How could he do this? It turned into a big argument. Finally, the Pharisees turned back to the man himself. Well, we're arguing about who he is. Who do you think he is? You're the one who's met him. You're the one who claims he healed you. What do you think he is? And the man is advancing a little bit in his understanding of Jesus. He says, maybe he's a prophet. I don't know. You know, the prophets like Moses and Elijah and Elisha, they, they perform miracles. Maybe he is a prophet of God. Maybe that's, maybe that's what he is, a prophet. Do you see the confusion here? Nobody understands the theology, how this can be done in the first place, and how can it be done on the Sabbath in the second place? No one understood the theology. It's the same thing, isn't it, with salvation. Do you really understand salvation? Do you really understand how Jesus can hear your pleas and your cries? And how Jesus can hear your confession of your sins and how he can go to the cross and take your, take your sins with him to the cross and die in your place. Do you totally understand that? Probably not, right? You don't have to understand the theology of it all. You have to have faith in what Jesus says. 
It's the mystery of God. You don't have to be a theologian to tell someone how to be a Christian. There was a woman in Africa who was also blind. She was 70 years old. And she got saved and she wanted to tell other people how to become Christians. And so she asked the missionary in northern Africa there where she was, can you give me a Bible? And they thought, well, you can't see, you can't read. What, what do you need a Bible for? She said, I want you to turn down the pages so I can find John 3.16. And I want you to take a red pen and, and underline every word of John 3.16. I said, okay, what good's that going to do? Well, she took her Bible. She went to a, a boys' school. Teenage boys were going to school there, and one of the subjects they took was French. This was a French Bible. So she sat outside the gate every single day. And when they came out, she would say, hey, can some of you help me? I'm blind, and can you read something for me? I can't see. Sure, ma'am. They were glad to show off their French, you know. And so they would come and sit down beside her, and she'd say, read that part that's underlined in red there. So they would read John 3:16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And then she said, do you understand that? And they would always say, no, ma'am, we don't understand that. She said, well, let me tell you what it means. <laughs> she had them, you see. She had them. The missionary said over the years, 24 young men were led to the Lord Jesus and became pastors in their area. You don't have to be a theologian to read French or Greek or Hebrew or English or any other language tell someone how to find Jesus to you. Let me tell you in the fourth place, you don't have to understand exactly how it happened. Look at verses 18 through 23. It tells you something about this. And the Pharisees are, are, are confused about all this. They figured someone's trying to pull a fashion on them. So they call the parents. They say, this guy wasn't really born blind, was he? Call his parents. Get his parents over here. So his parents come forward. They're scared to death. Is this your son? Yes, sir, it is our son. Was he born blind? Yes, we know he was born blind. He's been blind all of his life. Well, how do you explain that he can see now? We don't know. He is of age. Ask him. He's a grown man. You ask him how this happened. We don't know. He is of age. Verse 22 explains exactly what was going on here. They were scared to say anything about Jesus. Verse 22 says that the Pharisees had already warned everybody, if any of y'all say that Jesus is the Messiah, you're going to be excommunicated from the temple and the synagogue. You're going to be shunned. You will not have a job. You will be a non-person in our city. You don't want to be shunned. You don't want to be excommunicated. You don't want to lose your job. So they said, ask him. He's of age. He, he knows. He, ask him. Anyone claiming Jesus as the Messiah is going to be excommunicated. So they shut their mouths. The Pharisees dared you to call Jesus the Messiah. You see, no one could explain this. 
No one today can really explain to you in perfect understanding of your mind how Jesus can take away your sin. We just know he does, don't we? We are people of faith because he said it, I believe it. And he takes away my sin. And he does something on the cross that is beyond my understanding. He takes my sin. He dies in my place. And the Holy Spirit changes my life. You see, you don't have to understand exactly how it happened. You just have to know one thing. Which brings us to number five, point five. You don't have to know everything about Jesus. Not everything. Verses 24 through 34. The Pharisees say they're getting, see that they're getting nowhere fast. So they recall the man having talked to his parents a minute. See here now, boy. Give God the glory. Now that was putting them under oath. That's from Joshua. When Joshua wanted you to swear something was true, he said, give God the glory. And that meant you own the spot here. Today we say, put your hand on the Bible, raise your right hand, and I promise to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help me God. Well, their day, they said, give glory to God. And so they put him on the spot here. You've got to swear to tell the truth, or God's going to strike you down dead here. We know this man is a sinner, the Pharisees said. And then the man says, the one thing you need to know, here it is. I've been telling you all this time, there's just one thing you need to know. Verse 25. <clears throat> one thing I know. I was blind, and now I can see. <laughs> Isn't that clever? That's the one thing he needed to know to tell these people. The one thing you need to know is that you were lost, but Jesus found you. I think there's a song somewhere about that, maybe. Amazing Grace, they call it or something. Maybe Kenneth will write it sometime. Maybe there ought, to be a, there ought to be a song that says, I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Y'all ever sung that? I think you have. Yeah, okay. All I know is one thing. I was blind, but now I see. All I know is I was a sinner lost, and Jesus found me and saved me. Do you know that? I hope every one of you know that. Mm. Every one of us. You know, this whole thing in John is so incredible to the people. It's so hard to believe. Because you see, the Old Testament has no story about a blind person receiving sight. A leper gets well. Several lepers get well. People who are sick are healed. The dying are healed. But no blind person has ever been healed in the Old Testament. And yet when you come to Jesus in the Gospels, you see more miracle stories about Jesus giving sight to the blind than any other miracle that he does. Did you realize that? There it is in Matthew 9, Matthew 12, Matthew 15, Matthew 21, Mark 8, Mark 10, Luke 7, and John. That's just, it just never happened. But Isaiah had said in Isaiah 42, 7, the Messiah will open the eyes of the blind one day. So who's here? Who's in Jerusalem this day healing the blind? It's Messiah, isn't it? It's the Messiah. He is here. 
Well, they get in his face after he says, all I know is that I was blind, but now I see. They get in, get in his face and said, well, how did he do it? We want to know. And the blind man has had enough. Life is too short to use your new eyes on the scowls of the Pharisees, on their ugly looking faces. I already told you, he said. Why are you asking me again? And then he does what I say, the blind man calls their bluff. You ever play blind man's bluff when you were a kid? He called their bluff. He says, what do you keep asking me this for? Do you want to become his disciples too? It's the big one. Oh no, I'm not. They lost it. Whoa, just a minute. They start hurling insults at the man. We are disciples of Moses. We know where Moses came from, but nobody knows where this fella, this Jesus came from. And bless his pee-picking heart. The man who was blind came right back at him and said, so let me get this straight, wise guys. A man is going around doing something that is totally unheard of. Something that nobody else has ever done in the history of the world. Giving sight to the blind. And you can't figure out where he's from? You can't figure out who he is? You can't figure it out. Have you not read Isaiah 42, 7? When the Messiah comes, he will give sight to the blind. He laid a little common sense on him, didn't he? God does not work in the lives of sinners. He said, God listens to godly men. Nobody in the history of the world has ever given sight to the blind. If Jesus is not from God, he could never have done this for me. And that's all it took for the Pharisees to boot him out of the synagogue and the temple. To ban him, to excommunicate him, to shun him. But that's okay. It's better to walk in the light with Jesus than to sit in the darkness with the Pharisees, folks. So he's alone now for a few moments. And then listen to what it says. Jesus found him. Isn't that wonderful? Jesus found him. Verse 35. Helps him to full faith. He says, I want you to understand more about what's happened here. Notice where the man has moved. When you first met him, he was blind and hopeless. Nobody had ever given sight to the blind before. By verse 11, he says, there's a man called Jesus around here. He's done something wonderful for me. By verse 17, he says, well, maybe he's a prophet. I don't know. By verse 25, he says, I just know one thing. And that is I was blind, but now I see. And then by verse 33, by, by verse 27, 28, I am his disciple. I know he meant that because he said, you want to become his disciple too? No, they didn't. And now in verse 33, he says, he's a man from God. And now Jesus walks up to him, and for the first time, he sees the wonderful face of Jesus. Oh, I just stop right there. What's it going to be like when you see Jesus face to face for the first time? Glory. That's what it's going to be. I see Jesus face to face. Oh, my goodness. Mm -mm. Yesterday I did Pat Butcher's funeral here. I thought about her. Pat has seen the face of Jesus. 
This man sees the face of Jesus. Jesus says, do you believe in the Son of Man now? And the man says, well, who is he? Tell me so I can believe in him. And Jesus says, you have seen him, and he is speaking to you right now. And he says, oh, yeah, I believe, I believe, I believe. And notice what he did. He worshiped him. It's what we're doing here today, aren't we, I hope? He worshiped him. He worshiped him. He worshiped him. Oh, he worshiped Jesus. Where are you in the pathway to belief? What do you think about Jesus if you've not become a Christian yet? Where, where are you in this whole thing about, uh, about belief? Is he just a man? Is he maybe a prophet? Is he, does he do amazing things? I don't know. But one thing you can know today, I was blind, but now I see. I was lost, but now I am found. Jesus found me as sure as he found this man. And where are you in, uh, in, in being able to tell people about Jesus? Don't get confused. Don't get all wrapped up in all the things that you could know and you should know and you worry about. Somebody may ask you, just tell people I once was lost but now I'm found. I was a sinner condemned and unclean, but now I'm found by Jesus. You know about those headhunters, don't you? I don't mean those people who live in those islands and in the South Seas or somewhere like that. I know, I mean those people who work with corporates, corporations and companies who are always looking for a new president, a new CEO or someone like that. There's a man who uh, was telling about his experience in this. He said, my, my job is to go uh, to find these people. I'm called a headhunter. They want me to find the head of their company, find somebody like that who, who they could elect to their company. And say, so I always go through all these questions trying to understand the person. And then I always come to the point that you'd be amazed how many times it throws them off. I always ask them, what is your purpose in life? What is your purpose in life? And he said, you'd be amazed how the confusing they get sometimes. But he said, then I had the other day, I had this amazing experience. I went through all the preliminary questions and I came to this one and I asked the man, what is your priority in life? And he, without blinking an eye, this businessman said, my priority in life is to go to heaven and to take as many people with me as I possibly can. Now, what's your goal? What's your priority in life? What is it to you? Is there a priority you've figured out in life yet to tell someone about Jesus and to go to heaven and take as many with you as you can? That ought to be a goal of your life. And today, as I said a little bit while ago, we may not understand all about salvation, but we understand Jesus' answers in faith, with grace and power and forgiveness. And so today I invite you. We're going to have an invitation hymn in just a moment. I am thine, O Lord, I believe it is. And we're going to give you an opportunity to come to know Jesus. Some of us will be here this morning to receive you if you want to receive Jesus, Lord and Savior. Maybe you want to commit yourself this morning to say, I am going to know, I'm going to lead people to Jesus. I, do, I know one thing, that Jesus saved me and nobody can take that away from me. Would you stand right now? If Jesus calls you, it's time to do business right now.
Thank you.